Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. Stephanie Nipper was born and raised in Kentucky, where she says her love of books began at an early age. She majored in English and received a master's degree from Northern Kentucky University. She's the author of one novel and working on another. And as a member of our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau, she talks about her novel and can also address the importance of humanities in a STEM world, uh, a topic uh, that we're really interested in hearing her talk about today. Uh, Welcome, Stephanie. Tell me a little bit a bit about you first, about your uh, uh, your your love of books and your um, uh, native Kentuckyism, uh, and uh, and how that all led you to where you are today. Sure. Well, as you said, I'm a native Kentuckian. Um, my mother grew up around Pikeville and my outside of Pikeville in the mountains, and my father grew up outside of Somerset, so in southern Kentucky. So I have strong Kentucky roots. They both moved to northern Kentucky, and we didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up. But the one thing that my mom, who was a teacher, she taught Spanish and history, she always made sure that we had books. So if we couldn't go buy the books, we were going to the library every week. And my brother and I would return home with armloads of books that we would just read and lose ourselves in. So, you know, financially, we were not well off at all. We often, the only meal we would eat would be the meal at school, but I would come home and I would read. You know, I would open The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, walk through the, lo- the wardrobe with Lucy, and I would forget about all of the difficulties that we were having at home. So that love of reading was instilled in me by my mom at a very young age. For Christmas, I always knew we might not get a lot, but I would get books, and they would be books that we bought and I could hold on to. Um, So to me, books were an escape, but they were a window into the world outside of the world I was living in. And their importance was just sort of instilled in me from my mom's... um, my mom's insistence that even though we didn't have a lot, literature played a big role in our life. She would skip lunch and read to us while my brother and I were eating. She would make up stories for us as we were falling asleep at night, and you know, she'd make us the lead characters and all of that. So I really have to attribute my love of literature to my mom. Um, she was a lifelong reader also, and as, as I got older, we would trade books back and forth and talk about that. So when I got to college, I tried to go the practical route, the route that I could earn a living, make money, all of that. But my heart kept pulling me back to literature, back to English. And so I just finally said, okay, this is where my heart is. I'm going to dive in and I'm really going to do this. So I majored in English and then I got out of school. Of course, um, finding a job was a little more difficult. So I worked in the insurance industry for a while. And I would come home at night and I would write because just because I worked in insurance didn't mean I stopped loving literature. It didn't mean I stopped being a writer. So then after a while, um, my husband and I started a family. I was still reading, still writing, all of that. So it's been a lifelong passion of mine. 
Tell me about your first novel. Um, my first novel is The Peculiar Miracles of Antoinette Martin, and it is through Algonquin Books. It's the story of Antoinette, who is a 10-year-old little girl with special needs, and she also has this very special ability to temporarily heal anyone. Well, Antoinette's mother suffers from a worsening heart condition, and Antoinette longs more than anything else in the world to heal her mother because Antoinette is a child with special needs, and when you have special needs, or conversely, when you parent a child with special needs, that relationship is different than it is with um, sort of traditional or typical parenting. You become more than your child's mother. You become their voice. In the case of Antoinette, she is nonverbal, so her mother is more than her mother. She's her voice, her way of interacting with the world. So Antoinette is constantly attempting to heal her mother so her mother can stay with her. And yet each time Antoinette tries to heal her mother, she suffers worsening seizures that threaten her life. And the, the title character of Antoinette is actually based on my daughter, Grace, whom my husband and I adopted from China in 2005. And we were not aware that she had several severe disabilities when we adopted her. That came about later when we got home and found out about all of her issues. So it is based on mm -hmm. uh, your daughter, Grace, uh, but it's not, uh, is, is it about her? Um, not in the sense that it chronicles our journey with Grace. The character, it's fiction. So, you know, it's, it's imagined, it's not real. But the character of Antoinette, I took a lot of her mannerisms from my daughter, Grace the way that she walks, or um, in the book, Antoinette really loves music. And my daughter, Grace, she loves music. Grace is nonverbal, but she will sort of come on in and plop herself down on my lap and I'll sing to her. She'll, she has this noise that she makes when she's happy. It's sort of a high-pitched screeching sound that everyone who knows Grace understands this is her happy noise. So when I'm singing to her, Grace will flap her hands and screech. She'll put her ear against my chest so that she not only feels the, she not only hears me singing, but she feels the vibrations. And so I incorporated music into Antoinette's world. My daughter Grace is very tactile. She likes to touch everything. So um, my book is set on a commercial flower farm. So I gave Antoinette a very tactile relationship to the world. Like Grace, Antoinette likes to touch everything. And most of all, though, what I wanted to convey is the deep love that a parent and a special needs child feel for each other. It might not look like the love between a typical parent and a child, but it's just as deep and it's just as true. It's just not communicated in the same way. So all of that came from my daughter, Grace. Did you think this was going to be the uh, protagonist, the subject of uh, your first novel? Uh, even before Grace, or, or did, did Grace uh, in bringing her into your life um, be the impetus or, or be the subject matter of the novel that, um, that put you in front of the, uh, the keyboard uh, to begin to, to write? Well, that's a great question. Um, 
before I had children, no. I would have never, ever thought that this would be the subject of my first novel. I was one of those people who thought, okay, I can handle any type of child, but a severely disabled child, there is no way I could handle that. So even when we were beginning our adoption process, I just thought, oh, there's just, I can handle anything, but um, not a child with severe intellectual disabilities especially. However, that's not what I ended up with, so my world changed then. But this book was really inspired by two events in my life. The first was the birth of our son, Zachary. Um, My husband and I, like many people, we went through years of infertility. And um, we had decided to start the adoption process when we found out that I was pregnant, surprise, (laughs) which we were thrilled about. Um, We had not been matched with a child yet, so we put the adoption on hold. And we, you know, went through the whole pregnancy experience and were thrilled about it until I was about six months pregnant and I started to get really, really sick. Um, What we didn't know at the time is that I have Crohn's disease. It was undiagnosed. I can look back now and see that I've had symptoms ever since I was first hospitalized for symptoms when I was six years old. But at the time, I was 32, pregnant, and my son wasn't due for another 10 weeks and they had to rush me in and do an emergency C-section. Well, he was born 10 weeks early. He was two pounds, 14 ounces. He was little, but luckily he was fine. I was the one who was sick. I had developed peritonitis, which is a life-threatening abdominal infection, and I was actually in multi-system organ failure. Um, They had me on life support. I was on a respirator. all kinds of medication. I was in the hospital for a total of six weeks. Afterward, I had multiple surgeries. um, And it it took a long time to recover from that. My son now, he's fine. He's 14. Um, He should only be, uh, he should be starting his freshman year in college, or sorry, in high school. But he's bumped ahead two grades, Mm -hmm. so he's a junior. So he's completely fine. But back then, when I was still adjusting to everything, I started thinking about what it would be like for my son to grow up knowing that, or believing, not knowing, because his birth didn't cause my Crohn's disease, but it triggered this massive flare-up of the disease. And I worried about that as a mom. I didn't want my son to grow up thinking, oh no, I made my mom sick. So that was sort of the first kernel of the idea for this story, because in the story Peculiar Miracles, um, the mother, Rose, Her heart condition is uh, peripartum cardiomyopathy, which is a pregnancy-induced heart condition. So I started to explore that idea of what it would be like for a child to sort of carry this weight. But I didn't really start writing yet because I was a new mom. I was dealing with being diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is its, uh, its own type of trauma. And I had, you know, a little baby. But I would jot down notes and play around with the idea and try to come up with different ways I thought the story would go. And then when my husband and I wanted to expand our family, we turned back to adoption. Um, We decided on going the special needs route. And I have to say there were two reasons for that. One was that our daughter, um, at the time, China's special needs adoption, it was like cleft lip, cleft palate. Or in our daughter's case, her need was listed as a small heart condition that had already been corrected. So we said, okay, we can handle this. I have Crohn's disease, we get doctors, we can do this. 
But then we got to China and found out it was a lot more than that. So we brought her home. Again, I had to go through the getting used to it phase. But once I returned to writing after I adjusted to parenting a special needs child, that's when Antoinette came into the story. And I ask you this uh, before we begin um, our conversation about why you didn't make your, your journey through all of this um, as, as a real uh, story, <laughs> as a nonfiction story, and, uh, and not, not a fiction. And your response was? Well, I think that sometimes we are both better able to convey truths and receive truths through fiction than we are in nonfiction. Um, some of the biggest truths I've learned in life have been through fiction. And I've always been a fiction reader also, so I think that for me that's easier, it's easier to gravitate toward fiction than to nonfiction. I have written nonfiction, and I've told other stories through nonfiction. Um, but this story yet, Grace's story, I don't yet have the shape of it in a nonfiction form. I do want to tell it um, as nonfiction at some point. I just don't know what that's going to look like yet. My process is a little scattered. It's not a linear thought mm. process when it comes to writing. You've adopted other children from yes. China? Yes, we have a total of five children from China and one biological child. So we have a total of six, five from China, with varying special needs. So they're all special needs? Yes. Because now, after Grace, everything was easy. <laughs> the really? other needs just didn't seem that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask a question that that I, I'm sure that some people ask you in mm -hmm. person, uh, that, that, that uh, people listening might want to know. First of all, they more than likely praise you for your for your bravery and for your uh, your fortitude uh, for tackling this. When I, I would imagine you could have adopted children from China with uh, that weren't special needs child. What is it in a person that what what was it in you and your husband that um, that not only one or two but now but four other uh, children with special needs and and the task that it must be for one. Well, it is hard. I, I can't I can't sugarcoat it and say, oh, it's sunshine and lollipops all the time because it's it's not. It is difficult when you're dealing with children with both intellectual and physical needs. But in, in having Crohn's disease, in living with a condition in my own body, it sort of changed the way that I see people in that um, it's much easier to look past, especially our outward physical needs, and to see the person inside. Um, so there's that, because I know how it feels to live with a physical difference. Although you might not look at me and know that I, that I have a chronic condition, it's something that I deal with every day. Um, but so there was that. And then after bringing our daughter Grace home, and she's probably she's my child with the most severe needs. She's nonverbal. She's 13. Um, she's still in diapers. She has seizures. She can't. She can feed herself finger foods, but she can't manipulate a, a fork or a spoon. So we have to feed her, and it is a lot of physical work. It is a lot of hard work. But when I think of Grace, I don't think of that work. 
I just see my daughter. I just see Grace. I see the person that she is, not the needs that she has. And I would not have had that perspective had I not um, been diagnosed with Crohn's, had Grace not come into my life. So there's that at the beginning. And then, um, especially in China, there is not a good system for caring for people with special needs. Um, we recent, well, three years ago, we adopted our last two children at the same time from different cities, so they're um, not biologically related. But um, our son has spina bifida, and he's in a wheelchair. China is not a place you want to be if you have any mobility issues at all. Um, whenever we are there in China, you will see people with any type of um, physical difference. It can be as small as um, a limb difference, you know, missing fingers on your hand or something like that. People do not have the opportunities to lead what we would call a normal life there. And so once you've seen that, it's hard to ignore it. Stephanie Nipper is uh, one of our Speakers Bureau um, members. Uh, she's a uh, Kentucky author, uh, and uh, we've been talking about her novel, but I want to uh, this subject of um, the STEM world, science, technology, engineering, and math, and the importance of humanities, as you know, um, we've uh, talked a lot about that at Kentucky Humanities for, for many years, and it seems like there, there is more of an emphasis each and every day where we read and, and see uh, an emphasis on uh, science and technology and engineering and math. And you... Um, you, you address in your Speakers Bureau uh, talks uh, the importance of how it's something that I'm going to learn something from you today, the importance of how humanities and, and, and STEM can coexist in this world of ours. Yes, this is something that I'm very passionate about. And for a second, I have to go back to my upbringing a minute. Um, my mom taught Spanish and history, so she was very much humanities. My dad was a chemist, and my brother majored in biochemistry. So our household was sort of split along the humanities and the STEM line. But when I was growing up, we didn't split the way we thought. We would talk back and forth. We could talk as easily about you know, the percentage of dark matter in the universe and then slide into a conversation about social constructs in, in Jane Austen's work. We didn't divide the way we saw the disciplines. Unfortunately, today in our education system, we are very much pushing STEM. And I'm not saying at all that it's not important. It is. It's science, technology, engineering, and math, very important. What I'm saying is that the humanities are equally important. And what we can do is form a symbiotic relationship between the two. The way we are structured now, STEM students, think and are taught to think critically in a linear method. Okay, but our humanities students have something unique that they can offer to STEM students. Humanities students learn two things, um, more than two, but two that I want to pull out here. Empathy for other people, which I think that we can see in our world, especially our political landscape today, is sorely lacking and two, creative thought. So humanities majors might not be thinking, 
okay, A plus B equals C, the way that our STEM students do. Instead, a humanities major might think A plus M plus D, then Z, gets to C. And the reason that that's important is because the way we make new discoveries is by connecting two previously unconnected things. That's what creative thought does. And when we divorce creative thought, when we divorce humanities from our STEM-centered world, we lose advances that we might otherwise have had. Um, and it's, okay, for example, um, this has actually been recognized. NPR just did an article, or a story actually, not just. It was in 2015. They did an article about My Mount Sinai Medical School. They have a program where they are recognizing this truth that we need humanities majors in the sciences also. And they've started a new program where they recruit humanities majors into their med school. I believe the program is called HUMED. And these students they've found are better able to communicate with and connect with their patients. Um, this is what we need more of in our world, both in the sciences, in our political world, as we inter interrelate across countries. Humanities gives us all of that. That's such an excellent way to explain uh, the, uh, the coexistence of, of, of the two worlds. What um, would be your suggestion if you had uh, the opportunity, as you do in your Speakers Bureau uh, presentations, uh, to talk with uh, uh, government officials, educational uh, uh, officials uh, that are making these decisions, uh, that it's either or, uh, but that the two can coexist? One, I, I've got two things here. Um, one is we've we've really seen a push toward um, including more STEM classes in the cla or pushing students toward more STEM classes. What I would like to see is that we could incorporate, for example, creative writing possibly into a biology class. What we could do there is give the students, take away, take away the fear of grading, because our STEM students are very grade-oriented, right? Well, you know, most of us are, but it's very much go in a straight line so that you get the A. So you remove that pressure in this exercise. You have them keep a journal, and you have them imagine the possibilities of, let's say we're doing cancer research. Imagine new ways to treat it, using viruses, using anything that they can think of. And you grade that on a, is it completed? Is it not completed? Okay, so that's something we can do physically in the classroom to start training students to think outside of the box instead of just um, regurgitating memorized facts. This way we can actually come up with innovative new solutions to some of the problems that we face. As far as the political side, I think that that has to come from the people, okay? I think that our politicians mirror our own behavior because there's such a concern about staying in power, being reelected. And so I think that the conversation doesn't necessarily need to start from a top down with the politicians. I think it needs to start in situations like this, conversations that we are having now. And for our parents to understand that creativity is not something to be brushed aside as something lesser, but as something to be embraced as yet just one more tool for our students to use. 
uh, there was a study done by, um, I believe it's the Science Project, where they looked at scientists who had artistic hobbies. And what they found is that those scientists with artistic hobbies had two things. They had more tools at their disposal to solve the different problems that they faced. And they also had longer and more distinguished careers than their peers. And they attributed that to these artistic hobbies, which gave them different ways to think. Well, you uh, explained that so well, um, and and we appreciate your support. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Stephanie Nipper is um, a, a novelist, uh, a Kentuckian. Uh, her uh, book, The Peculiar Miracles of Antoinette Martin, uh, is now in paperback or will be in paperback soon. Um, and it is also being, um, I think it's available in, did you say, three languages? Uh, actually, outside, it's in English here in the U.S. and then four countries outside Wonderful. of the U.S. Well, more than, more than three. But she also uh, is available through our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau uh, to talk about the importance of uh, humanities in the STEM world. Stephanie, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.